2: Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here broadcasting from my office here in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I've been here a few years now, and uh, I actually moved my office to this location so that I could be um, within a short distance of my children's school. Uh, Their school um, is about a five-minute drive away from me. But this will be their last year at that school. They're in eighth grade, and they're going to be graduating in, gosh, it's hard to believe. They're going to be graduating the first week of June of this year, which is going to be on top of us sooner than we can imagine. Then it's summer fun time, and then hopefully they'll be heading off to school here in San Jose. Uh, And then I may just relocate my office uh, so that I can be closer to that school, so that uh, it's a, a short drive to get over there and to pick them up. Of course, in a in a couple of years, they'll be able to be driving. So maybe where my office is won't be as important as long as they can drive themselves to school, and I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, once they can do that, I will have more time available in my office to meet with people and get legal work done. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, Having children in school where they need to be uh, picked up uh, in the middle of the afternoon every day or in the middle of the day, one day a week, kind of cuts into the time a person has, such as myself, to get legal work done. But um, I still manage to to get things done. I want to let you all know, that my first estate planning workshop of 2022 is now scheduled and coming up for February 12th, which is a Saturday, uh, starting at about 9 a.m., going till about 10.30 a.m. It will be at the Silicon Valley Business Center on Camden Avenue near Lee Avenue, uh, just a couple blocks from my office here in the Cambrian Park area. Uh, It was very well received last year, uh, and I think it would be a good thing to come to 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 learn about estate planning priorities, uh, things that might be of interest to you, that might be important things that can be addressed with proper estate planning. You can register for the workshop, which, by the way, four people have done already, since uh, I first broadcast last Friday that my workshop was coming back. You can register by going to eventbrite.com, search for Estate Planning Workshop on February 12th, or go to my website at lawbob.com, and then click on the link at the top of the page, Or in the menu for workshops and seminars. And there you will see a description of the workshop. And then a button that you can click on to actually register for the workshop. That will actually take you to Eventbrite so you can get that done. You can register more than one person with one registration. So if you're coming with a spouse or family members or friends, you can register all on one ticket. There's no charge. I do have a limit of 40 spaces available 36 now and uh, if my last workshop is any indication um, things will start filling up more dramatically in the week or two before the workshop but if you want to be sure that you have a space now's the time to register Uh, again the workshop is free And I think it will be very valuable for anyone who is thinking about estate planning or maybe wants to uh, get some inputs about the planning that they already did, whether or not the trust planning they've done is actually effective or whether it's uh, missing some things that maybe it should have. So again, state planning workshop coming up February 12th, Saturday morning, from 9 to 10.30 here in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I want to open the phones up today for anyone who'd like to call in and ask me any questions on the air. Uh, The number is 800-516-1220. 1220, 1220, like the call numbers of KDOW. 800-516-1220. You can call in and ask me questions about estate planning. I'll be happy to answer them to the best of my ability. And uh, I'm hoping to get uh, at least a call or two today because it's been a while since I had the pleasure of chatting with someone on the air. So now's your chance to talk uh, on the air. And you can tell people later on you were on the radio. 800 um, 516 Uh Unless and until somebody calls, I'm going to... Start today's show doing the typical approach that I take in the shows, which is to read a bunch of questions or situations that people are facing around the state and then give answers to those questions. And by that, I mean uh, give commentary and maybe make suggestions about what someone could do um, or also... Um, my analysis, you might say my legal analysis of just what is going on. So here's one out of Los Angeles. Person said, how can I, as the sole beneficiary of an irrevocable trust, find out who the trustee is and get a copy of the trust? says, I need to find out who the trustee is, obtain a copy The trustee has been switched at least three times since the creation of the trust. Am I able to find a copy of the trust or its terms in real estate documents of transfer of real property? What about in lawsuits involving the trust? What documents or records specifically should I be searching through? Thank you so much. Okay. First of all, there is a legal requirement that every time... The trustee of a trust changes if it's an irrevocable trust that all the beneficiaries have to be notified of that change so if you have contact information for the current trustee of the trust you should go to that person and request a copy if you have contact information of any prior trustee of the trust I might start with them to see if they can give you a copy of the trust and maybe let you know who the current trustee is. Uh, Barring that, you you might want to look into real estate records, see if there's been any transactions involving the trust, and if the trustee's name appears in there. Uh, Lawsuits is another possibility. Um, You could search the uh, court records in the county where the last trustee was located or where the trustee is located and see if the trust name comes up. But what this sounds like here is whoever was in charge of handling the trust has dropped the ball and not kept the sole beneficiary of the trust informed. That concerns me because it may mean that the trustee of the trust has decided to play fast and loose with the property of the trust and may have actually Um, already taken the property of the trust and disappeared, maybe sold it and disappeared, and there may be nothing left. But beyond that, I can't think of any other specific way that you could locate who is actually handling the trust at this point in time. We're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, I'll hear or I'll uh, present more questions and comments from around the state of California. Again, you can always call 800-516-1220 if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. But stay tuned for the second segment of our show today. This is attorney Bob Bergman.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: And welcome back for the second segment of my show today. <clears throat> I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And here's one out of Los Angeles. And the person indicates... Um, Two real estate properties were given to me as gifts in 2007 to 2017, given to me as my own uh, separate property as a married man. So I assume that means sole and separate property. Uh, One property came from my mother. The other one was from my brother. They were signed off to me and gifted in 2017. In 2018... I quit-claimed both properties into a revocable trust that I established for that purpose. Last month, my wife moved out of the house and filed for divorce. Will I be able to keep both my properties after the divorce? Well, this is largely a family law question, but from an estate planning standpoint, If you were given property and it's your sole and separate property and you put that property into a trust set up for the purpose of holding that property and as long, in general terms, as long as you kept that property and the income and the expenses completely, totally separate from the marriage and didn't take money from the marriage to maintain the properties or pay taxes or insurance or maintenance or things like that, the likelihood is that that property is not subject to being divided up in the dissolution of the marriage. Now, that being said, the fact that you own those properties might be considered by a court um, in terms of uh, awarding some kind of spousal support to your spouse that's divorcing you uh, because you have uh, more assets um, than your spouse has. So that might be considered in awarding some kind of support. But uh, as far as keeping the property, I think you'll find that you'll be able to keep the property because it's separate. As long as you've kept it separate from the marriage, you should be in good shape. But for someone like this, I would always suggest that they really need to direct that question to a family lawyer, and they should probably have uh, a family lawyer uh, now that um, divorce has been filed. You you don't want to kind of do that on your own. Dissolution of a marriage is not really a do-it-yourself uh, do-it-yourself thing to do, unless the parties agree on everything and they get along amicably and then they might be able to do it on their own. Otherwise, if there's any animosity, if there's property issues, if there's children, um, minor children, you really need to have legal representation in order to make sure that things are done properly and that they are done fairly as well. Now, here's a question. When I read it, I it made me wonder Okay, has this person listened to my radio show or uh, have they uh, maybe did they get a hold of my brochure or uh, attend one of my seminars or something? Because they ask this question, can a castle trust be established in the state of California? Can it be established for people living in the state of California? I'm not really sure what this person means when they talk about a castle trust. I assume they're not talking about a trust established for the purpose of providing funds to maintain a castle. I mean, if you actually do a word search or Google search or something similar for castle trust, you'll find all kinds of funds and trusts set up for the purpose of maintaining and repairing castles primarily in Europe. Uh, as you can imagine castles can be very expensive to maintain, you know, being made of stone and mortar and stuff like that which deteriorates over time. I don't think they're talking about that kind of castle trust. Um, I also don't think they're talking about the type of castle trust that I draft and prepare for people. And the castle trust that I do, uh, some other people may call it a dynasty trust or a legacy trust or a multi-generation skipping transfer trust. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? What I call the castle trust is a trust established for the purpose of leaving an inheritance to someone in such a way that it is asset protected against the person's creditors, against the dissolution of their marriage, against lawsuits because um, they committed malpractice or something like that, if they're in a high-risk profession, all kinds of reasons to protect the inheritance. I call it the castle trust because a legal wall of words and, and statutes is built around the inheritance so that it is protected from loss. Much like a castle is used to protect uh, people and protect wealth of the kingdom inside. Uh, castles have ha- typically high walls, thick walls heavily defended, maybe a moat with it or a ditch with a drawbridge going over it that could be pulled up in case of attack. And so the castle trust is what I use to describe a lifetime asset-protected trust typically set up for a surviving spouse or set up for children or grandchildren. It's a regular part of the planning that I do as an attorney, and it's something I always recommend that individuals and married couples seriously consider when they are planning to leave assets to children or grandchildren or others, you know, nieces, nephews, things like that. Because um, if it's done properly, it can provide for avoiding loss by that person uh, if that person ends up having creditors coming against them, things like that. Now it's not going to protect if someone owes taxes to the state or to the IRS. Uh, they can come in through the castle and get paid. It also does not protect if someone has a child support or spousal support order entered against them from a dissolution of a marriage or or similar, uh, then those can come in and get paid. But for other kinds of claims, auto accidents, malpractice, things like that, Uh, It can provide a very high level of asset protection for the person who has a trust set up like that for them. It could be set up at the death of a parent or it could be set up while someone's alive. You could set up a trust like this while someone's alive. Um, I do talk briefly about this in my workshop, but um, you can always read more about it at my website at lawbob.com. We're coming to the bottom of the first hour, and when we come back, we'll finish out the show. More Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, Bob Bergman. See you on the other side of the break.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Hi, welcome back to the third segment of our show today. And uh, as I look here, I still have uh, a number of questions and comments to cover. Uh, You can always call 800-516-1220 if you'd like to talk with me. Uh, This is the longest segment of the show, so this would be a good time to call if you have any questions. But barring anyone calling in, uh, operators are standing by. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments. Okay, here's someone said, My father died March 2020. My brother is the executor of his estate. My brother is shady and self-serving. He says the house is sold, but I think he has a title problem. How can I find out if he can even legally sell it? Well, I would start first by saying if your brother's the executor, that implies that a probate was commenced for your father's estate. And, um, you know, more than, and if he's the executor, that also implies your father had a will that was admitted to probate. Um, You can find out from a title company if your father's house was sold because that would show up in the public record. Um, But this thing about he has a title problem, I'm not sure what that would mean uh, unless the brother tried to sell the house without getting the title cleared of the father's name. But uh, I would start first by finding out if a probate was commenced. Uh, you could check public records in the county where your father lived to see if there's a probate on record. You could also check with a title company to see if your father's house was sold in any way. Um, but if it was sold and there's a probate, you would have to have been informed of that fact formally, through the probate, you, you, you can't just um, uh, people can't just uh, sell a property out of probate without there being some kind of of uh, notice given to the beneficiary uh, that um, that the property has been sold or intended to be sold. So that's what I would do right there is I would check those places to see uh, whether you can get any information that way. Okay, um, <clears throat> I have a professional fiduciary trustee. Does the attorney who wrote my trust have any involvement with it after I die, or does the trustee handle it all without the need of the attorney? Uh, and the sub-question is, should my attorney keep the original of my trust, or should I? Well, I'll answer the second question first. I don't think attorneys should keep original Estate planning documents for clients, and and I say that, um, and I say that based on uh, experience of me taking over the law practice of a retiring attorney. Part of that practice included a couple hundred original wills that he had stored in safe deposit box boxes at um, a local bank, and uh, so I ended up with. A couple hundred original wills, uh, when, we, when I contacted the people with the contact information he had, several of the people were no longer at the addresses he had for them. So I had their original wills and no practical way of finding them. This is before the internet, by the way. So there was no way to easily search for people or search where they moved. There was no online service where you could look up people and find out addresses and phone numbers and emails and all that kind of thing, or even people who might be related to them. So to this day, I still have all of these wills that I have to store, and I can guarantee after the passage of time, some of these people have died. I didn't know they died. They didn't know that I had the will. They may have done a new will, and I didn't know about that. It's kind of a mess all the way around. So I think that people should keep their own estate planning documents and make arrangements for how they store them, whether they store the documents in a safe deposit box and make sure that the people who would need to have access will have access at death, and that could be done by writing up um, um, a letter indicating this person has access and put a copy of the deposit box key in with that letter and keep that letter with your estate planning. Uh, If you have a binder, keep it with your binder. Make sure people know where that is so that if you pass away they can take that letter and the key and go into the bank and the probate code permits that bank safe deposit box to be opened up for the purpose of pulling out estate planning documents. The bank will probably insist on making a copy of those documents and will do an inventory of the contents of the safe deposit box, uh, like if there's gold or silver coins, if there's jewelry, things like that. And uh, the person will be allowed to leave with the estate planning documents, but nothing else in there. Not until there is some kind of court order or some other legal action to actually take over the contents of the box. But uh, I don't keep original documents for my clients. I don't think it's a good practice. I think it's actually a very bad practice because something can happen to the attorney. The attorney may retire. Uh, The documents may end up being thrown away. I had that happen with someone that came to me. And we found out that the only person who would actually have any copies or originals of the documents was the attorney who had died. And since that time, the attorney's widow had taken all the old files and they had all gone into the dumpster. So there was literally nothing left to reference. So, uh, second part of the question, does the attorney handle it without the need of the attorney? Well, depending on the trustee if they're a professional they may be able to handle it. Or if they're a professional, it's very likely they have an attorney that they work with that advises them and also does all the legal work that needs to be done in the in the administration of someone's trust after that person has died. So that's the most likely answer right there is that there is going to be uh, an attorney involved assisting that professional trustee. Okay, here's one out of San Diego and and this one actually it's it's a simple question with a simple remedy, but there's a lot of ramifications, a lot of potential bad outcomes with the uh, simple remedy. This person said, I mistakenly put one of my children on my house deed to help um, my child and and child spouse get a loan. It was never changed. Now I'm close to 90, trying to make plans. I would like to leave my estate to my children equally, but the title is in joint tenancy. And if I died now, that one child would get the house entirely, regardless of a will or any other planning I would do. How can I remedy this mistake? Well, that you could have the child transfer the interest or the property back to you, severing the joint tenancy, but that could end up potentially triggering a reassessment of property tax um, because there's no exclusion from reassessment, no absolute exclusion from reassessment with a transfer between parents and children anymore because of Proposition 19. Now, in this case, since it sounds like it's the person's residence, if the child were to transfer the joint tenancy entrance back to the parent, it's very likely that uh, if you were to take half of the uh, assessed value of the property, add a million dollars to that, that that's going to be less than the value of the interest that was transferred back by the child to the parent in which case they the parent would be able to keep the low property taxes that they proper, properly have but this is the kind of thing that is going to take the cooperation of the child in order to uh, accomplish so you're 90 years old don't wait any longer Get together with that child, get together with an attorney to assist you and get this taken care of. Because if you wait too long, your fear is going to come place and that is come to pass rather. And that is that the property will pass to one child and any other children you have will not get a share or an equal share at all. Now, uh, I want to let everyone know we're going to have one more segment of the show today. And uh, that's going to be coming up after a commercial break in about a minute and a half. But I wanted to remind you all that I do have my next workshop coming up February 12th, which is a Saturday morning here at the Silicon Valley Business Center on Camden Avenue near Lee Avenue in Cambrian Park, San Jose. It'll be from 9 to 1030 in the morning and you can register for it. It's free, by the way, at Eventbrite.com. If you go and search for the estate planning workshop on February 12th or go to my website at LawBob, Click on the link for seminars and workshops at the top and then you'll be able to actually click on a button that will take you to Eventbrite where you can register. Um, You can register more than yourself. You could register. I think I have it set to maybe up to eight people on one ticket. As I said, it is free. It is in person. Masks are required uh, due to county ordinance. Um, And that's fine with me if you come. I have no problem with people coming to a live workshop. So we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, I'll take it home with Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman
1: now back to plan your estate radio once again your host estate planning trust and probate law specialist attorney Bob Bergman
2: I welcome back so we're going to take it home now as we come around the far turn and head for the finish line of the show today uh, let's see here uh, Okay, here's something. We have a revocable trust that holds two properties. My oldest son is the trustee. Can my other son, who is on the trust, force a sale? Um, okay, this is, that's weird. Um, both of them were settlers of the trust, but the oldest is trustee. Can my younger son force a sale of the properties, or do they both have to be in agreement? Well, generally speaking, um, if there are co-owners of a property, and I'm not talking about a married couple that own property as community property, but say just two brothers like this who own a property together, you cannot force them to continue owning the property together if one of them does not wish to uh, own the property anymore. Uh, Whoever doesn't want to own the property, if there's no cooperation, they could go to court, file what's called a partition action and request that the court order property sold so that a person can actually get their share of the proceeds and go on their way. Um, it's kind of an extreme thing to do, but sometimes it's the only way to actually um, um, get a resolution if people are not willing to cooperate with each other then sometimes there's no choice but to go to court and ask the court to order the sale of property. Now, closely related to that is this question, interesting enough, out of Riverside, that says, can my father sell the house without my approval? Says, my dad wants to sell our house without my consent, even though I'm on the deed. Well, again, the short answer is he can't sell it on his own without the cooperation of the son, but he could go to court and he could uh, ask the court to order the property to be sold even if the son didn't want to sell the property. So that's uh, you know, kind of like people are not required to stay married if they don't want to be married anymore. Well, the law also does not require someone to stay married, if you will, to a partner uh, owning property together. If someone no longer wants to own property together, in that case, um, if there isn't actual cooperation, then you can go to court and you can request that the uh, property be ordered sold. That is called a partition action. It is. Um, it is a relatively common if there are disputes over real estate and partners can't decide what to do. Um, I've never actually had to file a partition action uh, in the years of my practice, but uh, that would likely involve going to a real estate attorney rather than an estate planning attorney, because that's more in that type of attorney's wheelhouse. Now, here someone uh, said, uh, after my mother died and before a permanent conservatorship was confirmed, the court-appointed attorney for my mother sent the file to the named trustee, one of my sisters, or her attorney. My mother's estate was to be divided equally between uh, her six children, each named as a beneficiary. After my sister got the file, she sent copies to our four siblings, but not to me. Um, I asked the attorney for the file, never got it. Is it a violation of the probate code to intentionally not provide information to one beneficiary when the other five beneficiaries got it? Doesn't this violate duties of impartiality and disclosure? What can I do to get the information? Can I go to court asking the court to make them provide it? Well, if someone is the beneficiary of an irrevocable trust or a trust that becomes irrevocable due to the death of the of the creator of the trust, then beneficiaries are entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust sent to them. That's a statutory requirement. The failure to provide that means that uh, the person who didn't get the uh, copy of the, the trust actually has a relatively unlimited amount of time uh, to go to court and complain about the trust itself. In a case like this, if it's not been provided and it's legally required to be provided, I would start first by having an attorney write a letter to the sister saying you need to provide this and if failure to provide, then maybe go to court, ask the court to insist that it be provided, maybe even ask the court to remove that sister as the trustee because she is not following the rules and that's the key not following the rules um, and, and so um, that's kind of what I would suggest I got one more quick question here to handle that someone asks is getting a living trust and and will from uh, insert online um, service a safe and reliable option I also found other services offer similar. Uh, a friend has a parent recently passed. Mom has left to her care. She'd like to have things in place just in case. Let me say this about do-it-yourself options of all kinds. It's very easy to make a mistake and do something that's going to force the family to go to court to deal with a problem. I do that regularly for families and not just with do-it-yourself approaches. I would suggest coming to an astir- an attorney such as myself to get your estate planning done. Enough said. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Catch you next week, next Friday for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Have a great weekend.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L A W B O V lawbob.com or call his office in San Jose 408 247 0444. That's 408 247 0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.